It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back, everyone, to another great episode of Reconsider, part of the Agora Podcast Network, where we don't do the thinking for you. And let's just get right into it. We're talking about coronavirus again today because, you know, it's probably the most it'll be it'll, of the many, 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 many notable things of 2020. It will be the most notable. And there's one of the weird things about this particular pandemic uh, is that it defied weird things for us, at least, is that it defied our expectation that. You know, Xander and I were, were even talking about at some point that, oh, this country is so divided that it would take something, you know, some some existential threat to all of us together, uh, such as, you know, another Soviet Union or perhaps a global pandemic perhaps. to bring us all together. Perhaps. And we got the global pandemic and it divided us further somehow. Yeah. And so we want to we want to talk a little bit about, I guess, what's going on there, right? Yeah. Um, ooh, my levels are very loud again. Sorry about that. It's, um, ah, sorry, editor, just cut out that bit. Sorry, I thought I had my levels set, but apparently they spiked really, really high and were clipping, so let me just turn everything down quite a ways. Okay, um, starting back up here. Yeah, um, it is, I mean, clearly this year has hit home for everyone, but in, in terms of just how I, I, I think about the United States, I, I really was in the camp that thought uh, that a serious threat to everyone would be unifying, and I was wrong. So there it is. Um, so this show is going to be a little bit different than what we usually do, um, and we're, we're going to be very firm uh, when it, that when we think at this point, when you're talking about COVID and things like mask ed- etiquette, there, there is a clear right answer. Um, both in terms of the public health and your duty as a citizen uh, regarding it. But before we start, I want to take the opportunity to uh, just share with everyone a little snippet of what our process looks like at Reconsider. Um, I've, I've, if you follow me on Twitter or Facebook or whatever, you will know that I have been very angry lately uh, because of how people have been acting. It just seems like such a small sacrifice. Anyways, we'll get to all of that. And I wrote the show notes for all of this at, at first. And uh, talking about this. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> and Eric read it all and said, 
look, there's some good stuff in there, but 80% of it is you getting cranky and angry ranting. I'm like, okay, fair enough. So then he took another shot then I went back in and filled in some of the data. And so I think this is like a very reconsidery show in the sense that um, we both checked each other a lot and I'm grateful to you for that. So thanks, Eric. Um, Thanks, man. Yeah, we, we do that. We do that to each other a lot. One in particular, you know, in particular, one of the things we talk about, even with Nat, is what are the standards for the show? Like, what are the things that we will not violate? And, um, you know, and it's often hard because Xander and I have we have our own opinions about the world. And um, and we one of the standards we have as a show is that we're not going to on matters of uh you know of policy or of um of of values that aren't shared by 80% of the country right so we have this like kind of vague 80% rule um we're not going to tell you what to think what we are where we where we are going to settle or start from are the shared values that 80 plus percent of Americans have, um, and in particular values that aren't political. Um, and so, uh, you know, so for example, we would not, you know, and, and this is kind of how we avoid just sitting on the fence or both sides in something, right? We're not here to do that. We're here to, we're here to take a real look at something and dissect where there's BS. And so the reason we feel like we're able to, even in the in the reconsidered credo, take a stand here is that um, we believe we think it's very clear that the the you know kind of no mask side of or that no mask or there's no virus or that kind of side of things is is completely objectively wrong about what's going on with reality and or. Uh, you know, could could be either could be both um, and or violating norms and values that are fundamentally American. And so we're going to talk today about specifically uh, why these people are wrong. Right. And we're not going to get what we're going to It would take too long to get into. Oh, my gosh. Like, how did all of this misinformation and these myths get out there? And why do people want to believe them? Um, why is it attractive to believe that, you know, 250,000 Americans or a lot more now haven't died from the coronavirus, et cetera? Um, that, that is like incredibly complex and is probably going to be something that is studied for decades to come. Uh, but we, what we are doing with this show is first, we're taking the stand that wearing a mask and practicing social distancing is ethically obligatory, minimally convenient, and not doing so is, um, is irresponsible and ethically unacceptable. And we're going to address why that is true based on the facts and and this kind of sort of like basic American decency and and um, uh, and even a few philosophical principles um, that are common in the United States. And then we're also going to uh, systematically debunk some common myths. And so uh, we hope that this show can, you know, probably throwing an anti-masker at this show is not going to be the thing because, uh, you know, we come off pretty strong at the beginning here. Um, but hopefully this show can arm you with some ways to think about um, how to get your, you know, your uncle to wear a gosh dang mask already. Um, and so we'd love some feedback on this show because it's a little different from what we normally do. Um, but 
Uh, but with that, let's get into it. So, Xander, why is it um, ethically obligatory to wear a mask and pre- practice basic social distancing? What a great question, Eric. Um, well, okay, why why do we need to wear masks and socially distance? And I, for the record, I you know, like I said, I'm pretty angry about the subject, and I think it's fair that you all know that because it might affect my thinking too. But yeah, the information is so very clear that masks save lives and we're stuck in this awful moment in history not the worst but clearly like a local minimum right there's this extremely dangerous contagious virus that is not only uncommonly deadly but you know weird and tricky because it doesn't manifest symptoms in the first couple of days of catching it and now we're at this really critical point where the, me- the, the medical system, the medical infrastructure in this country is about to be taxed severely. And in my personal opinion, I, based on what's going on, I think it's going to break before this is over, which I'm sad to say. Um, well, I think you're, you're, you're not the only one saying that. Right? Yeah. I think you're, you're basing that opinion off of people who you know, are, are uh, you know, public, health, public health experts. Um, and who, you know, and who have been watching, you know, very closely how beds are filling up. There are a number of, um, you know, there are a number of states that are either full or essentially full already. Like statewide, there are many, many hospitals which are already yeah. full. There are fewer than one million hospital beds in the United States, period. And so we'll talk a little bit more about what what could happen when all those are full. So. Because mask wearing is such a minor inconvenience, and we're going to get into some of the narratives surrounding, um, oh, well, I can suffocate from CO2. It's, not, it's just not true. But because it really is a minor inconvenience when you think about the scale of the problem. And to, to shrug off that responsibility that you have to your, to your fellow countrymen I, for, for essentially no reason, I don't think is, is, is ethically justifiable. And I, I do, before I, we get any further into the episode, because, Eric, you mentioned Americans, I wanted to be sure that I mentioned our, mm. our friend Chris Stewart over at the History of China. I got into a, um, he's been on our show before, History of China podcast. I got into a conversation with him, and he pointed out that, well, it's gone to the point where, you know, Americans are only baldly appealing to other Americans and not caring about other parts of the world. And I, that's not really what we're doing. Re, all of these things are, broader humanitarian issues but realistically like eric and i are constrained in our ability to control what goes on anywhere right now right so we might as well focus on the people that we have like a political affiliation with with which is other americans so that's that's why we reference americans and not the rest of the world in this episode yeah and that's a good point because we do have a global audience and coronavirus is a global problem and anti-maskers or at least and, and anti-lockdowners are to varying degrees in different countries a global problem. I remember a mask-free protest in somewhere in Germany um, protesting the lockdown. And, and we know what happens in Britain and, and I'm sure all sorts of other places where free expression um, is allowed. So it is certainly the case that, that we are bedrocking ourselves on American values about about uh, you know, about having some some minimum basic responsibility to minorly inconvenience yourself to save other people's lives um, or to prevent you from killing other people is really what it is. And 
Uh, and so those, but, but it's, but it is also the case that many of our, you know, many of our friends and allies across the world obviously share those values. As well. Right. Um, so that out of the way, looking it's, it's, we're, we're getting, we were talking about why, why it's, it's ethically obligatory to wear a mask. Right. Um, and we we're talking about how the medical infrastructure is going to be stressed. It's already stressed as Eric, you pointed out. And I mean, all you have to do is go look at the, the the single line chart of daily cases over time. It's such a simple chart and it's terrifying because none of the strain currently being, uh, you know, imposed on the system incorporates any of the Thanksgiving super spreader events. And that's the first of two that we're about to go into in the coming months. And people did not act responsibly on Thanksgiving. And we'll get into some of the data about how asymptomatic people spread COVID, but um, some some really mild inconveniences in the next couple of months can potentially save tens or hundreds of thousands of American lives. And I'll, I really suggest you go look at this chart of the daily case count. It's it's terrifying. The numbers aren't great. So is this the is are you citing the Johns Hopkins one? Uh, I mean, I've the, John Hopkins has a daily case count by county and state. New York Times has yeah. its own data set. There's a third. I've actually been spending a fair amount of time in grad school, like looking into the COVID numbers. So I'll be fresh on some of this. Yeah. So I think this is also this is also a good opportunity to have a quick ethical conversation, um, or about like what is you know where where does this ethical obligation come from? Because I remember I I'll link it. It's not it's not the best article, but I wrote an article like back in 2014 or something, and it was should the flu vaccine be mandatory? Uh, because you know it could save lives, right? And so by by not getting the, you know, by choosing not to get the flu vaccine, you increase the likelihood that uh, someone that you infect someone with the flu and kill them. And uh, you know, it just kind of left the question open there. That, you know, at what magnitude, like at what magnitude does something become an obligation? You know, does, does an action to save others' lives become an obligation? And there's a, oh gosh, I forget which, it was like a pre-Socratic sort hmm. of philosopher who had this sort of paradox question where he said, where he asked, you know, is a grain of sand a pile of sand? And you go, well, no, it's just a grain. And you go, great. Is two grains of sand a pile of sand? No. How about three? No. How many grains are required to make a pile or a lump? And it's an unanswerable question, right? But, but the idea is you can imagine adding grains of sand until you've called it a lump. And, uh, and, and, and there's no obvious point where then once you have a lump, that taking a single grain off makes it not a lump. So what's the point of this? The point is that there's with the sand, there is a certain magnitude past which it's obviously a lump. And there's a very small number of grains of sand in which it's obviously not a lump. But being able to create a hard line where it's lump or not lump is not really possible. And the same goes for how many deaths, like how many people need to die or need to potentially die, right? Because the whole point of like, all the preventative stuff that Fauci and the CDC were trying to do is to like keep all these deaths from happening. But how many potential people need to die for you to incur what cost? You know, a certain cost. Um, and, you know, like whatever that cost is, 
if it's higher, you know, if, if the number of people that would potentially be saved by your, your behavior is higher than like the cost that you should have to incur is higher. Um, and in particular, we'll talk about negative rights versus positive rights, because there's also like some ethical or some philosophical differences between between demanding that you give money to save people from starving to death or dying of like zinc or HIV or malaria. Right. That's that's one form of cost. But then the other is constraining your activity to not hurt other people. So, for example, um, you know, you can't drive drunk. Why? Because it puts people at risk. Exactly. Right. You can't shoot guns in the air. Why? Because it puts people at risk unnecessarily. Right. So minor inconvenience to you to not just shoot guns in the air or drive drunk. But, you know, but it saves people's lives. And we accept that. And so, you know, what we're asking ourselves now is at least with masks or or sorry, there's there's a complex version of this question, which is, you know, which is lockdowns. Right. Like lockdowns are difficult. And they're economically very painful. And especially if Congress like doesn't get on, you know, on the job to to bail out the American people and restaurants and such during a lockdown, it's excruciating and, you know, ruins people's livelihoods and disproportionately affects certain people more than others. Right. Like Xander and I like 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 I still have my job. Right. But a lot of restaurants are shut down. So this is a huge cost to certain people that they don't even get to choose. And so that becomes actually a really complex, interesting um, moral question when in particular you you don't have the federal government doing its job to support, you know, to support people during these lockdowns. And, and you know, so you can have a conversation around around at what point do you lock the thing down? Do you start constraining what can be open and et cetera? But with masks, we obviously have a very, very small cost or inconvenience or so-called curtailing of freedom and a, you know, potentially very, very large uh, return on safety for people, a little bit like drunk driving, etc. So I think that that long rant of mine was to sort of was to say, like, if we're looking to kind of pin down what's the ethical framework behind this, it is the same kind of ethical framework about um, why you can't shoot guns in the air, why you can't drunk drive, why you can't, for example, release all sorts of toxins into the air, right? Or release like certain pollutants into the air and other things because your actions kill people and or they potentially kill people and society restricts some of these things that you can do in order to not kill people. Yeah. And while we're going to focus on masks and you know personal responsibility more in this episode i want to just take a moment more to, to to say something about um lockdowns right because while the cost to wearing a mask is so slight and insignificant there are real costs to things like a lockdown um which we experienced in california early in this year and are heading towards again right now so what's what's the cost from implementing these policies that curtail the spread of the virus and is that worth the benefit? And I think that's a reasonable question to ask. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the sad part of that is we, we have to contemplate that again right now in, in the United States and California. And you know we had been making progress earlier in the year. But earlier in the year when this, this trade-off was first identified and carried up and spread by you know political pundits everywhere, 
it became this stark tribal or or rather the, the narrative was was framed in these stark tribal terms you know do you want to kill people or do you want to kill the economy and that's kind of where this issue of of political partisanship and all the issues that we talk about on reconsider with the media intersected with this pandemic early on and how people were going to act all the partisan tribal talking points just fell into the uh, fell into line but that that's a fundamental misframing um to just ask to to just say that you have to either be pro lives or pro economy right because taking basic precautions lets you reopen the economy and lets you get on with your life and when you ignore those basic precautions then you're imposing an additional cost on the economy. So I, I don't think that that framing, um, and it's not as prevalent now as it was a couple of months ago, is is going to help anyone. And if you hear it, I just you know, think twice about it. But that aside, back to masks and personal responsibility and where we are with the pandemic right now. Um, and we should cover you know uh the magnitude of what's going on right now um and how bad it's likely to get and why that builds a case uh that obligates us to protect our fellow americans just today over 2700 people in the united states died from covid highest number ever today is december 2nd over 200,000 people are catching this thing every day, which is right in line, honestly, with where some health experts anticipated in early November that the daily case count would be at Thanksgiving, so pretty close on. And this is a virus that at a 2 to 3% fatality rate, and since we have better testing ability right now, we know that that's a more reliable figure. So actually worse or kind of on par with the mid-case scenario that we talked about on this show earlier this year. So we know we know a lot about this and we've been able to we've been able to see kind of how well are these models which are trying to predict how bad could it get given certain um, given certain behaviors and activities and restrictions. So such as social distancing, such as lockdown, such as masks, etc. They've been performing really, really well. Um, One place that we can look for this is 538. So 538.com slash covid dash forecasts. You should go in particular, in particular, because they show the forecast from today and they show forecasts um, every week. So you can go back in time and show forecasts every week back to April. Right. So if we look at November 2nd, what they're predicting is. So if we look at UCLA, they're predicting by December 12th, 263,000 people dead. Right. So we've actually we've crossed that. We've got it's worse. Um, Los Alamos predicted by December 12th, 272,000. We're there, but uh, or we're at 276 or something. Sorry, 273,000. So we're there, but earlier. So we're actually doing we are it is deadlier than these models were predicting in early November, except for the army. So the army has always been the most pessimistic and way more pessimistic than everyone else. Um, and it turns out we've undershot what the army thought by a little bit. Um, but if you keep looking, if you go back through these historical forecasts, they've been really good. And so if we go to today's forecast, looking to like end of year, Los Alamos is predicting 
320,000 people dead, UCLA, another 320,000. We get a little more pessimistic as we go down. Some of the most accurate modeling has been from my alma mater, MIT, who's predicting a, a, an acceleration of death due to the Thanksgiving super spreader event. So they're predicting by the end of the year, 345,000 Americans dead. Um, the army, uh, which actually was the only one to overcall, um, but not by that much. They're predicting by January 2nd, 440,000 by dead Americans. By when? January? By January 2nd. And it's in particular because the army, the army, which, by the way, uh, our logistics experts are predicting, are, are incorporating a breakdown of, they're incorporating a breakdown of the medical system into their model. And, uh, and what that means is that people aren't going to get treated. So one of the reasons the death rate has decreased a bit over time is because we know how to treat people fairly well, right? So, so if you get sick, you end up in the hospital, you're more likely to survive now at this moment than you were in April. But what the army is predicting and what is more and more likely going to happen, given how many people are getting sick, is that you won't be able to make it to the hospital. Or if you get to the hospital, you'll be like in a stretcher, like out in a hallway, maybe a stretcher if you're lucky. Again, we have fewer than a million in the entire country hospital beds. And so you'd be out in the hallway and there may not be enough treatment. There certainly aren't enough ventilators, et cetera, et cetera. And so they're predicting that the mortality rate is actually going to spike significantly. Yeah, this is so, not a linear progression. It's not even an exponential progression. It's, it's like exponential up until a point until when everything's full. And then it's just a break right. point and, a, and, a, and an immediate Correct. step up for all illnesses Correct. if care is at capacity and being rationed. And so why are we doomsaying all of this? One, uh, just so that when you go and listen to this later, you'd be like, wow. They were right, right? It's not us, right? It's, it's, these, it's these incredibly sophisticated folks at the United States Army and MIT and Georgia Tech and Northeastern and Johns Hopkins, et cetera, et cetera. But most importantly, so with all this doom saying, it is still the case that if 95% of people wore masks and socially distanced, we would contain the virus. It wouldn't be over, but we would contain the virus in six to eight weeks is what these models predict. And these models have been good. And we're so close, not just to a single vaccine, but multiple vaccines that as far as I can tell, as a, being a non-expert on, on this topic, according to vaccine research uh, researchers, the, the success rate is phenomenal. It's incredible. It's unusual. And that recent advancements in, in biotech um, that have just taken place over the last couple of years have made possible in, a, in several months what used to take years. Um, yeah. The light is there at the end of the tunnel. We j and we just have to do the right thing for a couple more months. It's not even the endless, interminable, never-ending, who knows what's going on with this pandemic that, that we all had to go through earlier this year. The end's there. We can see a reasonable timeline at the end of next spring or summer, depending on how logistics and distribution, you know, challenges go, of, of being through the worst of this. But we have to act responsibly. And unfortunately, that also means skipping Christmas to the extent that it, it, it would until you're going out with people outside of your bubble. Because it's in this critical halfway point. This, the Thanksgiving super spreader events, unfortunately, are behind us. They've already happened. And We'll start seeing the death from that in, in about two to three weeks. Two weeks. 
Um, but I think based on the data I see that that the health healthcare system will essentially be at capacity from those super spreader events from Thanksgiving. And then the thank the um the Christmas ones are gonna happen on top of that. And it can either be so overwhelm overwhelming that it breaks the system and that no one can receive any type of care at all. And I'm not being hyperbolic when I say when I say this. I really think that at this trajectory and basing my predictions on recent American action, I think that's what's going to happen, unfortunately. But if we can somehow pull together in this and do the right thing on Christmas for one year, the wait's not that long. The end is is near. But we have to do the right thing. Otherwise, it's going to be devastating. And so many people are going to die that don't need to die. Yeah. And um, the only the other doom saying that we need to talk about here is that when the hospital system fills up, the it's not just COVID patients that now have a dramatically increased mortality rate. It's everyone who needed the hospital. And, you know, the United States operates with about, you know, on average, it's like 60% full. So like 600,000 of those million beds are being used. So if they're all full, right, we now have, you know, we now have these hundreds of thousands of people that would otherwise show up in, and get in these beds from all sorts of things, Right. Uh, or otherwise just receive, you know, need, like they would need to receive treatment for all sorts of things in these hospitals. Um, not all of it is emergency, right? Or not all of it is like immediate emergency. A lot of it is scheduled inpatient care that can't happen. It's cancer treatments that can't happen. It's dialysis that can't happen. And so we're going to, we would see an increase in mortality from that as well. And there's, there are a number of models that have demonstrated that the the excess mortality in the United States, seasonal excess mortality in the United States since the pandemic has started is actually dramatically higher than the number of people who have died from the coronavirus. Um, it's it's that like uh, in particular, if we look in the Northeast, like around New York during that time period, um, 30,000 people died of the coronavirus in New York, almost 20,000 in New Jersey. But the excess death in that area was about 50% higher than even that. So those deaths are from the pandemic, but they are not attributed to the pandemic because people are not dying from coronavirus. They're dying from the knock-on effects of a bunch of other people having coronavirus. So get rid so if you remember the if you remember the body bags and the uh literally the mass graves that were being dug and um, you know, folks in hazmat suits chucking body bags into mass graves. If you remember that from New York for a few weeks, it's it is at this point likely to happen in many places in the United States. I, I feel like and it that's is, already inevitable. And the best we can do is avoid it getting worse from that at this point. Right. And and the thing we need to be very clear about is that these models have predicted very accurately what has happened with different me- with different measures and different mask wearing uh different mask wearing ratios and they they predict that we would be able to con- rat that we would be able to avoid this scenario even now if 95% of people wore masks and practiced social distancing for a 6 to 8 week period the other evidence for this working um, we've got anecdotal evidence from East Asia, um, where in Japan and South Korea, 
uh, as well as Taiwan, which is uh, which has been sharing data. You know, the People's Republic of China is its own kettle of fish. Um, but if you go to the Johns Hopkins website and look at the spread in those areas, you had this initial spike, um, and then it flattened out quite well. Why? Because in East Asia, people wear masks. They wear them religiously, right? The mask wearing when when you were sick, right? When you had a cold or you had the flu and you still went out, you wore a mask. That is a that is a cultural norm in East Asia. And so right now in East Asia, everyone is assuming that they're sick and they're going about their business without lockdowns. Yeah. And oh, sorry, South sorry. Korea's had 529 deaths despite being a I think 20 million or more um uh person country so ma- masks work and the reason we're here is because people aren't wearing that's the point and we're going to keep harping on this throughout this episode because i feel like this is just one of the common threads both of my grandfathers fought in world war ii one of them fought in world war one I. I don't know how much action they saw but that that was an extreme sacrifice we're faced with this great historical challenge that we just have to deal with. It sucks. I wish we didn't have to. But our sacrifice means six to eight weeks of of acting responsibly and depriving ourselves of our family for one holiday season to ensure that more families are around for more people everywhere else. And you can always go see them next year when everything is is safe again. It's not critical that we all congregate Inside this holiday season, we can skip it once for the good of everyone else. Now, what do we love at at Reconsider? We love busting narratives. So Mm -hmm. let's talk about all of the different narratives that are out there that that seem to push against the direction of wearing masks and or following general common sense public health guidelines. So, uh, and, and a caveat, we're not going to get into the wackier uh, conspiracy theories here, such no. as, you know, the coronavirus is caused by 5G, or that this is a conspiracy by Bill Gates and George Soros to put a tracking chip inside of you. Um, if, you're, if you're at that camp, like, you haven't made it this far in the episode anyway, so we're just not even going to bother with that level of stuff. We're going to talk about your, you know, your kind of run-of-the-mill ticked off anti-mask. Our goal is is to prepare our audience uh and and you guys are all such sophisticated listeners to talk to your own tribe with all of the information possible uh in their own language, in your own language and to get people to change their behavior for the next 2 months. Yep. You're uh like you if you are like I don't know if you've seen that that dumb Terminator movie. But, you know, if you are listening to this, you are the resistance, right? But, like, if you are listening to this, you can save people's lives. Uh, we're assuming that you're already wearing a mask because you're a smart person because you listen to Reconsider. But you can help save lives by doing the work to convince some others to wear masks. And so let's talk about some of the objections that you're going to run into. Xander, you want to start with the first one? Sure. The first one is is the comparison to the flu. Ah, it's not that big of a deal. It's like the flu. This was more prevalent early in the pandemic, and it's one that's been thoroughly debunked at this point. In fact, we've debunked it at Reconsider, uh, published several reports on both hospitalization rates uh, and death rates in different age groups. And COVID is, I mean, this is a nutshell summary. We'll have a link in the show notes. 
you know, between 10 and 50 times deadlier than even one of the most deadly flus in recent history, which is the 2017 to 2018 flu. That's and it's more than twice as contagious. Yes, exactly. Jury's out on that one. COVID's an order of magnitude worse. Yes. Um, and remember also, for those who are like, well, the, you know, we accept the 60,000 a year that die from uh, influenza. Um, it's worth noting that um, it's worth noting that with influenza, we have a vaccine. Uh, we heavily, you know, socialize trying to get it. So we actually fight the flu as well as we can. Right. And the flu season is long, uh, et cetera. So so it turns out that when you don't have a flu vaccine, a lot more people die. Um, when people don't stay home from work because of the flu, a lot more people would die. Um, and we're talking about, you know, we're, we're already at the point that we're more than an order of magnitude number of people who have died. And with the coronavirus, because of a lack of vaccine, because of its contagiousness and because of its deadliness and because of its, its likelihood to send people to the hospital, which is much higher and therefore consume hospital resources and break the medical system. We're talking about multiple orders of magnitude here. Uh, if it's if it's uncontrolled, right? If there are not precautions taken, we're talking about millions of people. So not like the flu. One argument I've heard is that uh, there are actually there have not been more excess deaths in 2020, or there have not been excess deaths in 2020. So some more people died of coronavirus, but they didn't die of other things. So the um, you know they were going to die anyway, or because people are out less, you know, because they're locked down, they're not getting in car accidents. And so, like, the same number of people have died uh, as would have died had there not been the coronavirus is just from another cause. This is just not true. Um, I've linked to Snopes. I've, I've linked to Snopes. Um, that, that data is made up. There are hundreds of thousands of excess deaths this year tracked from a number of different sources from different universities, from the CDC. You know, this data is very easy to get. And, and so there are just hundreds of thousands of excess deaths this year due to the coronavirus. And... Uh, anyone who says otherwise is looking at false data. There's another narrative that that goes something along the lines of, ah, it's just this conspiracy to inflate the actual numbers. And the implication here is for political purpose purposes or other, some purpose with ulterior motives. And one version of this, uh, one common version of this is, uh, well, because of comorbidities, which means that uh, one person may have two different diseases that impact how uh, severe each diseases and therefore the the morbidity rate um, for that person or, or for people in their situation. Um, so you will often see people post uh, saying, for example, that ah they're not they're not dying from COVID; they're dying with COVID, meaning that they died from this other disease that they had. And, and this this really is kind of just a misunderstanding and. It's been used somewhat maliciously in media this year um, for political purposes. Um, most of the people who die from COVID have pre-existing conditions, and that is what makes them at higher risk. And that is why we should care about them, because they are the most vulnerable among us. But this, this point about you know dying with COVID instead of from it, um, this has been shared all over the place. Uh, and saying that, ah, oh, well, really, this this person actually died from their other diseases, be it high blood pressure, be it diabetes, obesity, they were immunocompromised, but not from COVID. Um, and it's just simply not true because respiratory failure from viral infection is killing these people. That's what the doctors observe when they watch these people die. 
Um, it's simple. Pre-existing conditions do make people weak. And when these folks contract COVID, they get pneumonia, severe pneumonia, or their lungs fail and they die. That is the COVID. Their system is weak, but it's the COVID, not the underlying conditions. Yeah. And if you're if you're heartless enough to think, oh, well, it's only people with underlying conditions. It's only like grandma, right? They're old anyway. They've only got a few years left. 170 million Americans have the kind of underlying conditions that complicate COVID. So that's literally or it's, uh, I believe, nearly the majority of Americans have, you know, something like high blood pressure, severe obesity, diabetes, they're immunocompromised in some way. They already have some sort of lung problems. They were long time smokers. Hmm? Right. So we're talking about normal folks here. Um, we're talking about more or less most Americans. Uh, so it's it's uh, of course, a lot of people who die are going to have comorbidities because one, the comorbidities make it more likely you'll die. And two, most adult Americans have comorbidities. So. Um, all right. So uh, all this all this BS that it's not so bad. Gotten out of the way. So. Uh, okay, it's bad, or maybe it's bad, or I don't care, it's bad, but this infringes on my rights, right? You're forcing me to wear a mask. My rights have been infringed, and I must resist. Um, so let's let's start with a bit of logic before we talk about the law here. Xander. Yes. If I want to walk outside naked, what would happen to me? I believe you might get reported on by your neighbors and arrested. Arrested? Indecent exposure? arrested i thought this was america i'm sorry where is my liberty to walk around without pants well don't we have liberty to not stare at your naked dong uh apparently you do because (laughs) americans agree as uh, americans seem to agree except for like a few nudist colonies who who for the record the nudist colonies they're all consenting to it right they're like "We're we're off in the woods we're all nude it's our thing right but it's it's if you don't think it's infringing on your rights to have to wear pants in order to shield someone's eyes from your private parts, then how is it infringing on your rights to demand that you wear a mask when around other people? Right. Because I don't have to wear pants all the time. I only have to wear pants in public. Right? I can be naked in my own house. You can be maskless in your own house. But when you go out to Walmart, you have to wear a mask. How is that infringing on your rights any more than forcing you wear to, to wear pants in Walmart? Uh, it's certainly for a better reason, right? Offending the eyes is one level of damage to your fellow man. Uh, infecting them with a deadly disease is a much higher one. So no one's up in arms about public decency laws. Um, it is logically inconsistent to be up in arms about having to wear a mask in order to save lives. Um, the other thing about rights is that there are, um, you know, th- every state in the union has declared a state of emergency at this point, right? A public health state of emergency. And when states of emergency are declared, it is common, uh, you know, it is, it is just common, like it's, it's, it's common, it's not common law, but it's common practice throughout the world and, and through much of modern history that when states of emergency are declared, special powers are given to the executive in order to try to deal with the emergency. So we can even talk about state of emergency uh, and the lockdowns, but a state of emergency with a mask rule is super easy. There's, there's really no legal pretext for saying that 
in a public health state of emergency, a mask law is unconstitutional in some way. That's how states of emergency work, right? Um, you know, the legislature has to has the ability to try to curtail the state of emergency, but the reason that legislatures are not doing that is because there's an emergency. So, you know, and and this in particular is a good case of um, a right to something versus a right from something, right? So, the you know, you as you as an American have certain rights. You have certain rights, for example, to have your speech not curtailed except for yelling fire in a crowded theater. You know why? Because if you do that, people get hurt, right? Um, and you also have other rights for the government not to force you to do things or to force you to not do things unless doing those things will get people hurt or killed, um, again, to a certain magnitude. And in this case, the, the framework of rights that the, you know, that the founding fathers laid out is life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. And, and is it ever the case that liberty and life, as you know, your fundamental rights, are in some tension? Sure, right? Again, you are not free to shoot guns in the air and drive drunk. You're similarly, in this state of emergency, not free to walk into Walmart without a mask. It's for the same reason, and it's consistent. It's extremely consistent, and more obviously um, aligned with uh, you know, with, with the, uh, the life part of, um, of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, uh, than, than drunk driving and not shooting guns into the air is. So, um, there's really no, there's really no case to be made from legal precedent or from, uh, ethical consistency or from, you know, or just from like consistency with other things that Americans accept that they have to do, such as wear pants. There's, there's no case to say that anyone's rights are infringed on. So then we come to the issue of the actual use of masks, how effective they are, so on and so forth. And one narrative that, that crops up is the idea that, oh, well, masks aren't really even effective at preventing transmission. And again, just not true. You can both breathe oxygen and and not emit the virus at the same time because oxygen molecules are over a thousand times smaller than the size of COVID-19. So it's not that complicated to make something that blocks one and not the other. And masks are as old as the hills themselves when it comes to medicine. I mean, for hundreds and hundreds of years, surgeons around the world have worn masks. And modern science, modern medicine doesn't know germ theory as well as you do. I mean, even back in the day, like the 14th century, when the Black Plague struck Europe and before then in the Justinian Plague in the 6th century, people knew that when plague struck, congregating was a bad idea and that you might want to cover your face. They didn't know why. They thought maybe it was bad humors. But they kind of figured out that it wasn't a good idea. This doesn't take advanced statistical knowledge, right? Like our ancestors with no modern, no concept of modern germ theory were able to figure this out hundreds of years ago. Yep. Yes. Uh, yes. The, the illiterate German artillerymen in, 19, in a muddy trench in 1916 who used a wet, you know, who used a used wet sponge to wipe his bum knew that you don't go near the pile of bodies because stuff is in the air that could hurt you. Right. And 
so so just the the logical insanity of trying to make a case that masks would not be effective at preventing the transmission of this virus that they can't block something has also been has also been just proven time and time and time again because like these poor these poor effing scientists are like what can we do to convince you idiots that this works it's like okay we've got like there's a study i saw today we've got rodents on either side of a mask and some of them have COVID and some of them don't. And then we've got another, another cage where we've got some rodents that have COVID and some that don't, and there's no mask. And guess what? The ones without a mask, they got sick. The ones with the mask, they didn't get sick. Like, and, and, or like they literally like take viral, you know, particles, the size of the virus and they blow them out of mask. And it's like, Oh look, the mask caught them. Right. Like it's just so easy to prove and proven so many times that I think, you know, the reason I think we're getting into the logic here, right, and trying to arm you with the the size argument and the, you know, just like the kind of common sense argument is that, um, you know, the kinds of people that don't understand or don't want to believe that masks help prevent transmission of the coronavirus, uh, you know, the, the studies aren't going to convince them because they probably think it's a conspiracy anyway. Um, but then, you know, so the, at the same, so what's, what's of course just really silly about this is you've got these people saying, um, and you can catch people on this contradiction, right? Catch them on it in order to, in order to get them, get them in a corner that they have to explain themselves. Cause they'll say at the one hand that the mask is ineffective at presenting the transmission of a virus. Um, but then at the same time, they will also say that the mask is causing CO2 poison. Why is this absurd? Because the the virus is a thousand times the size of the CO2 molecule, right? So what they're actually saying is that if it's not if it's not preventing the spread of the coronavirus, but it is suffocating you, then what they're saying is you somehow created a mask that blocks the tiny thing, but allows the big thing to get through and you violated the laws of physics, right? Um, like there is no filter that lets bigger things through and smaller things not. So um, the same logic applies. The virus is much bigger. It's very easy to, you know, again, a thousand times bigger. Like think of a basketball in the middle of a stadium, right? Um, Because we're talking about the radius. Um, Thousand times the radius, not the volume. So a thousand times the radius. It's a basketball on the size of a stadium. If you can't build a filter that catches the stadium, but not the basketball, right? Then you're not a mask making engineer. Right. So. So one, it's just, you know, explain to them the basketball stadium thing. But two, same logic here applies as as the, you know, kind of the masks in the past masks. The the reason doctors wear masks is because one, it blocks them from giving their patients, you know, diseases when they have them cut open like a surgeon, right? A surgeon, 12 hour brain surgery. Why is he wearing a mask or she prevents prevents the surgeon from hurting this patient by getting diseases into their brain while they have their skull open. And also somehow this surgeon is able to do their job for 12 hours without passing out from CO2 poisoning. Why? Because masks don't prevent CO2 and oxygen from going back and forth. Certainly it's, and again, there's plenty of good studies on this. You can go on YouTube and you can like find this guy that put 10 masks on himself and put an oxygen meter on him and itself and went running and his oxygen was 92 or 98 excuse me it was 98 and he was fine right because 
it's basic, you know, it's like, it's not even science. It's just like basic, basic, some things are bigger than other things, logic. And, you know, uh, and, you know, similarly, like how many folks do you know that their job requires them to wear a filtration mask, right? The, the filtration mask, the KN95s that people use to paint stuff, to sand stuff, to work with anything that makes fumes. So welders, um, anyone that works in any laboratory with with chemicals and fumes. I mean, there's, uh, I know a guy who cleans, uh, cleans submarines, right? He goes into submarines and like decorodes them. Right. And he spends 12 hours a day in this filtered mask. He's alive still. Right. And his brain hasn't degraded. This whole CO2 poisoning thing is obviously insane. And again, the studies, there are studies left and right, but if someone believes this, they need a little bit of logic. Um, hopefully. And, uh, you know, and maybe you can demonstrate for them, like if you have an Apple Watch or something, right, it, it, a new one, it shows your, your oxygen levels, wear 10 masks in front of them and say, look, make a bet, make a bet with them. If my oxygen levels drop or my CO2 levels go up, I'll give you $1,000, right? And if I'm right, you only have to give me 10, right? See if they're willing to put their money where their mouth is. And if studies aren't your uh, thing, from- oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, that's from Talib's skin in the game. Talib's a genius. He's the guy that wrote Black Swan. It's actually really good. It's actually a really good tactic. I'm not just being cheeky. Sorry. Go ahead, Sander. Yeah. Um, if 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 uh, studies and data is is not your thing, I, I mean, from personal experience, I went running with my dog today for about 30, 40 minutes with a mask on, and here I am talking to you. So I didn't, wow. I didn't die. You cheated death. Yeah. I was, um, I was on a rowing machine outside outside distanced with a mask on. Um, and I was doing, uh, I was doing minute 30 splits with a mask on. And it, you know, look like, like when you're working, when you're panting that hard, like it gets warm, it gets damp. It's not comfortable when you're sprinting in a mask, you know, but, but you can make it through Walmart with one Karen. You're fine. <laughs> yet, yet another narrative that really, uh, boggles my mind, but it's, it's, it's so, uh, deceptively simple. I feel fine. I feel fine, right? I, I don't feel like I'm sick, so why should I worry about it? I'm not going to get it. I have no moral responsibility. Before I even say anything about this narrative, let me just read you a quote that I came across today from a research report. Quote, masks are primarily intended to reduce the emission of virus-laden droplets, which is especially relevant for asymptomatic or presymptomatic infected wearers who feel well and may be unaware of their infectiousness to others, and who are estimated to account for more than, what do you think the number is going to be? Uh, I can see it. Oh, right. So I can't really guess. <laughs> so asymptomatic and pre-symptomatic people are estimated to account for more than 50% of transmissions. That's huge! Um, so I feel fine. It doesn't matter. We, we know now, if you've been alive this year, you should know that there's a period of time before you show symptoms. If you have it, that's not an excuse. And many people will never show symptoms when they get right? it. And you could still be transmitting it to other people who, because they are different, because they're not you, when they get it from you, which if you're not asymptomatic or if you're asymptomatic, if you're not showing symptoms, you're still effing contagious. Right? That's just a fact. And so you're going to kill people. And real quick, and, that, that quote came from a CDC report. I realize I didn't mention the source. The link on show notes. Oh yeah. 
Oh, they're part of the deep state, Xander. They can't <laughs> I need another All right. Beer. My body, my choice. Or we should only quarantine sick people. So this goes to the level above, or this goes to the, the case above. It turns out that you might be sick and not know it, right? So unless you're going to let the government stick a, uh, every single day, stick a Q-tip in your sinuses, which by the way, I get that every couple of weeks um, because I'm trying to do my patriotic duty and I'm part of a tracking study. But unless you're good with the government sticking a Q-tip in your sinuses for 15 seconds and twisting it around every single effing day, then we don't know if you're sick. So we can't only quarantine sick people. It's not possible, right? This isn't the bubonic plague. There are are asymptomatic people spreading the coronavirus. And so only quarantining sick people is not an option. Get over it. Um, And then similarly, the, the whole like my body, my choice thing. The reason to wear a mask is somewhat to protect yourself, but is to protect other people from you. That is the reason, right? Masks are not about um, this is, well, I'll, I'll double over. Like there's something like lions, not sheep. Don't be afraid kind of thing. Look, you want to catch the coronavirus? I'll, that's fine. I'll make a box, fill it with, you know, I'll get sick people to sneeze in it. You can get in the box and you can die there. That's fine. Right. That's, that's your choice, but giving it to other people isn't your choice. This isn't about wearing a mask is not a sign of fear because it's not about you. It's not about you getting sick. Wearing a mask is a sign of compassion and patriotism because it's about you You might be sick and you can't know it. And so you wear a mask just in case to keep these catastrophic um, outcomes that are looking likely now from occurring. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So those are a lot of the moral arguments that we've drum up with. But let's say you find yourself in a conversation with someone who just doesn't give a shit about other people. They only care about themselves. And clearly I'm being a little, you know, hyperbolic here. But sometimes it's useful to have arguments that speak to people's individual interests, right? So the narrative here is, well, masks, they don't help me. They only help other people. Unless, of course, I have an N95 mask. And to this, I think that what, one of the most challenging aspects of trying to keep up to date with this pandemic this whole year has been the rapid dissemination of new information. 
Um, and it's hard because in a crisis situation like this, you have to learn as you go. It's, it's, which is why a lot of the quotes I'm about to read from you are from peer-reviewed uh, medical journals, but a lot are not yet peer-reviewed because academics and researchers are just desperately trying to get information out there as quickly as possible uh, to their colleagues to try to make progress with it. But things cha have changed very quickly in this pandemic. And one of the things that you probably heard earlier this year was, ah, well, we all need to wear masks. The earlier advice was wrong. We do need to wear masks, but we need to wear masks not because it helps us, but because it helps other people. It blocks the particles from getting thrown out. And for example, earlier in the year, the CDC said masks are uh, good, but don't wear N95 masks in public, just cloth masks. Cloth masks may not protect you, but they will protect other people. So this narrative existed earlier in the year. You probably heard it. And the thing is, it's just not true anymore. There is more, plenty of data suggesting that cloth or fabric masks do help you. And so here are the quotes I'm, I was talking about. The links will be in the show notes. So, quote, in a review of observational studies, and I went and read it myself. It was a meta study of like 150 different papers. In a review of observational studies, an international research team estimate, estimates that surgical and comparable cloth masks are 60% effective in protecting the wearer. In another report, a researcher, uh, and this is unpublished, so this was not yet peer-reviewed, but in this unpublished work, quote, an environmental engineer at Virginia Tech in Blacksburg and her colleagues found that even a cotton t-shirt can block half of the inhaled aerosols and almost 80% of the exhaled aerosols measuring two micrometers across. Once you get into the four to five micrometers across, almost any fabric can block more than 80% in both directions. And, you know, there's, there's some sciencey jargon in there, but what's important to know is that the coronavirus itself is very small. It's like 0.3 micrometers or something, but it travels on aerosols. It cannot leave the body if it's not on some other piece of liquid. Um, so what really matters is the size of, of the liquid that's leaving you or the air particle or the, the air particle particle that is floating around on. And, um, Another, uh, well, this isn't a report. This is just talking about that report. But from this Nature article, quote, uh, more relevant are the pathogen transporting droplets and aerosols, here we go, which range from 0.2 micrometers to hundreds of micrometers across. The majority are in the 1 to 10 micrometer range in diameter and can linger in the air for a long time. And what that means is that fabric masks, which can block uh, particles in the four to five micrometer range quite well are quite effective in many of the circumstances in which you may contract the coronavirus. Not only do masks protect you and limit the risk that you will contract COVID-19, but interesting, interestingly, wearing a mask might also prevent you from getting a severe case of it in the event that you do catch it. Um, and this is a quote, from that same Nature article uh, that is referencing another research report. Quote, the findings provide justification for the emerging consensus that mask use protects the wearer as well as other people. The work also points to another potentially game-changing idea, that masking may not only protect you from infection, but also from severe 
illness. Wearing a mask helps. The idea that it doesn't help you is old. There's new data now. So, and and one of the things we want to cover here is that, you know, we had talked about, hey, a mask can prevent one thing from getting through and not another. So what's with these percentages, right? How is it X percent effective? Like it either works or it doesn't. And that's obviously not true, but but like what's the mechanism by which it might not work, right? If it's not 100% effective, it might not work. Well, one of them is like, let's say someone sneezes on your face, right? And and that's like full of the coronavirus. It might get in your eyes because um, you can get it through your eyes, any mucous membrane, anything liquid um, that gets inside you. Um, it's also the case that, you know, if you have, if you, if like someone sneezes or or if you like go through kind of a cloud of aerosols with the coronavirus, it's going to stick to your mask. So it's going to prevent you from breathing it in. But then if you grab your mask and then don't wash your hands immediately, you might, you know, you might get some viral load. You might get some, you know, particles of the virus. Now someone is going to go, well, see, the mask just makes it stick to you. It's like, yes, but the mask also prevents it from going directly in your mouth hole. So. Um, so you have a fighting chance if you have a mask, whereas if you didn't have the mask, you toast. And in particular, um, one of the reasons that this study talked about, you know, so if it, if it's got a good chance of preventing you from getting it at all, but even if you do get it, it'll protect you from severe illness. Why? There's this concept called viral load. If you get a lot of the virus at first, then, you know, these things multiply exponentially, right? One virus turns into two two turns into four. What if you start off with 10,000 viruses, it becomes 20,000 real quick, and then 40,000. And what happens is it's able to multiply much faster than your body can develop an immune response. And so you get tons of it and it starts killing you. Whereas if you get a very small viral load, a small number of the viruses, then your body can recognize it and start producing antibodies as it multiplies. And as you know about exponential curves, because we've seen it from this bloody pandemic, that early part of the line, like when you when you get late out in it, that early part of the line looks really flat, doesn't it? And and so the whole point of having a smaller viral load, if you get it, is all about giving your body time to develop the antibodies um, to fight it off. And so you will get less sick, even if you do get sick because you wore a mask. So and this is where we can, you know, there's there's this we can get into this kind of a crazy idea that like somehow the experts don't know what they're talking about or that they're compromised or, um, you know, or, or they're like, they, they, they want to operate for some reason, you know, medical professionals, plus the news, uh, plus all these universities, plus the United States army, plus the CDC, um, plus state governments, plus local governments, plus, uh, businesses, uh, you know, all these people, uh, are wrong or they're just sheep right they're sheep and they're just listening to to whatever and being afraid and um and i know better uh and that the medical experts that are that are saying that this is a real threat and requires this this kind of behavior are wrong i i think you can only reach you know i think you can only reach this conclusion if you really want to right if you've like really decided um that you're not interested either in trusting experts or getting any data for yourself, right? And some would be like, well, I have data. I, I looked at InfoWars, right? And Alex Jones said that along with the gay frogs, uh, the government is trying to, uh, 
Um, if you don't know the gay frogs thing, just look up Alex Jones or Info oh, that's a real frogs. thing. But, oh no! Oh, it's a real thing. Yeah, yeah. Info, you know, gay frogs, classic Infowars. But mm. like, but or like, yeah, my favorite YouTube conspiracy theorist, like, you know, said that this isn't real and and presented some stuff that looks like credible data. And we talked about in an earlier episode how you know media technology makes it easy to spread lies, um, uh, but only to people who want to believe them. And so, I think the only point you get to like. I can't trust the medical experts. They must not know what they're talking about. I somehow know more than they do. Um, or, or they like, you know, they want to lie to me. I, th- I think it, it, you, have to, you have to have chosen to be at this point where you choose to believe that uh, there's this kind of like massive conspiracy of, of all sorts of people with many different interests from many different walks of life who are all looking at the same data and deciding to lie to you about it. And also that you've chosen not to look at the data yourself. And Dan Carlin brings up a, a great point in, I think, his most recent episode of Common Sense, um, where he talks about Occam's razor, right? Um, and he says, you know, he says like, hey, you know, one, one news outlet being really dishonest about something, you know, okay, that could happen. And a bunch of news outlets being dishonest in order to make money because there's some reason for it. Okay, that could happen. Um, but then also, you know, the, also the medical community and also these state and local level governments and also many different businesses who are trying to keep their employees safe and, you know, and also like the national football league, um, you know, and, and like the number of people, the number of individuals and the number of organizations that would need to all want to for, you know, all want to lie in the exact same way about this or misleading the exact same way about this starts to starts to violate Occam's razor, right? It starts to become um, absurdly unlikely just due to the sheer scale um, and number of different bodies and parties that are all lying and 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 all dumber than you, um, you know, and or all dumber than you. And and so that's that's kind of what, how Dan Carlin suggests that one thinks about it is, you know, is it is it that, you know, my YouTube conspiracy theorist might be wrong or is it that all these other groups are wrong or lying or, or misled in the same way when this when this data is public? Yeah, I was thinking about this, Eric. I'd be curious to get your take on it. You know, some folks have asked me, uh, you know, maybe you should do a show on conspiracy theories. And I don't know. I'm torn on the issue, frankly, because I don't even know if I want to dip my toes into that, that you know, tide of crazy. What do you think? Yeah. Well, I think we may need to. I think in part, as much as I hate to say it, I think um, conspiracy theorism is becoming more common. I think there was a time like in the 90s, you know, you hear conspiracy theory and people are thinking like, oh, yeah, like the, the government um has you know the government has made contact with aliens and it's not letting us know right okay sure whatever and there are a few people who believe that and it's not a big deal and it doesn't really matter or if you remember from morocco this lady we ran into that that genuinely thought the moon was a hologram uh, yeah right so there are like people who think the moon is a hologram you're like okay cool you're crazy whatever um but i think like we have a large number of americans who believe things that are fundamentally conspiracy theories um and i'm defining a conspiracy theory in terms of something that like is one like, you know, one, not mainstream, but two, like very unsupportable. It requires, requires like massive violations of Occam's razor and requires, essentially requires you to believe like, ah, yes, all of this evidence out there that I'm seeing is like, you know, fabricated and constructed by some, you know, by a large number of people who are all able to keep a secret and, um, and 
And what I believe, even though it doesn't have evidence, that evidence will come up someday, right? That's the idea. And it's a little bit like, as much as I hate to say, well, I don't hate to say it, um, the people who believe that like Biden somehow stole the election, right? It's like, okay, there's all this evidence that he didn't, including like Republican governors and Republican appointed judges throwing out cases and Republican appointed secretaries of state certifying votes and hand recounts of ballots certifying votes. And, you know, and just the fact that like, uh, you know, the, the original count was that he won the election and there's a lack of evidence of anything bad. Like Bill Barr came out today and said, no, we didn't really find anything. It's certainly not enough to overturn the election. And, um, you know, and also like one interesting thing, I know this is a big tangent, but one interesting thing is a friend of mine said, a lawyer friend of mine said, if it's not under oath, it doesn't count. (laughs) So what you need to see is what does Rudy Giuliani say in a news conference? And what does he say at the actual hearings about these lawsuits, which are getting laughed out of court? Right. And when he's at the lawsuits, oh, the, the evidence is surprisingly not there. The stuff that he says he has that he knows, you know, he knows like, you know, in his crazy like uh, his what's it his uh, uh, press conference where like he was like dripping mascara off his hair. You know, he's he's saying like, you know, there's like communist money from Venezuela and China coming in and and that like the Dominion machines were designed to switch votes um, over from uh, Trump to Biden. And all this stuff. And then he goes to court and he doesn't doesn't mention it at all. Right. If you look at the briefings, like the things that are actually part of the lawsuits, none of that is mentioned. Why? Because when it's under oath and you lie, you go to jail. (laughs) Yeah, clearly. Right. And Giuliani doesn't want to go to jail. Right. It's like pretty simple. Right. Why would he claim all this stuff and then not present any of it in court? Well, because he doesn't want to go to jail. I don't want to go to jail. I don't blame him. And so it's kind of the same thing about uh, anyway. So my tangent about the 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 insanity there aside the point is that the point is that like believing that like believing that wearing a mask is a bad is not a good idea or is not helpful is a conspiracy theory yeah all right believing that trump won the election is a conspiracy theory and there are many americans who believe these things all right into the conspiracies we shall go yeah the thing is we're already there man that's the thing we're not talking about moon holograms we don't have to talk or like lizard people we don't have to talk about any of that. We just have to talk about the conspiracy theories that like way too many Americans now believe. We will do an episode on anyway, it. Yeah, let's let's recircle back uh, because another narrative that that we definitely wanted to hit on was uh, a simple one that people shouldn't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't let don't let your fear control you. Right. Lions, not sheep. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, and I feel a little jaded because I used this analogy really early in the pandemic and now everyone's using it. Um, so I feel like I used it before it was cool, but whatever. Fake news. There were, yeah, nine eleven. About three thousand people died. Right. Think about everything that we have been willing to do in the war on terror in the last twenty years. We still have eighty five hundred Americans. Last time I checked in Afghanistan. What were we willing to do just in terms of the TSA infringements on our rights, Fourth Amendment rights, all of the mass surveillance that went on? Um, how much money we were willing to spend on the military apparatus to respond to this attack? How many soldiers went abroad, died in the, in the sand to prevent this from ever happening again? And if you'll remember the beginning of the episode, 2,700 Americans died today, December 2nd. That's just barely short of the number of people that died on 9-11, which means that a 9-11's equi- worth equivalent of people 
are dying every single day in America before. And I've made this point before, but if your counter argument to this, to the 9-11 comparison is, ah, well, that's completely different because one was a conscious attack and the other is an unconscious virus. One was an enemy and the other isn't. I can meet you halfway here. If you're, you're, you're inherently implying that, that you weight violent threats as worse in some ways or another than the viral ones and the unconscious ones. I don't think there's anything fundamentally wrong with thinking about risk that way. But today, early December, about 90 times as many people have died from COVID as from 9-11. And I don't think a reasonable argument exists that somehow the threat from violent actors is two orders of magnitude more important or two orders of magnitude scarier or two orders of magnitude worth spending our resources on compared to things that can kill us but might not be conscious. If you do think that violent threats are worth two orders of magnitude more in terms of resource allocation from the government, I'd- Boy, I'd I'd love to hear the argument. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd love to hear it. Reach out to me. Yeah. Xander at reconsidermedia.com. That's X-A-N-D-E-R. All right. And then finally, it's about control, right? It's not about keeping us safe. It's about control somehow. And look, I'm not going to I'm not going to sit here and say that the government's not trying to control you. Of course they are. The government knows your exact location at all times. If you carry a mobile phone, they know who you call and when they know how much money you make to the dime. And they take precisely as much money as they want, right? Multiple branches of government do. They say, you're going to give us this much. And if you don't, you go to jail. Um, they license you. You know, you, you need the government's permission to drive a car. You need the government's permission to start a business. You know, even a, a hair salon, you have to be licensed in the state of California. Like, I can't cut someone's hair without a license. I could keep going, right? Like, go listen to, go listen to Spike Cohen again. Um, the government controls the heck out of your lives and it knows a lot about you, right? And what on earth does wearing a mask have to do with any of that? Nothing, right? Like the government doesn't get money out of you for wearing a mask. It doesn't prevent you from, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't like, it doesn't make you dependent on the government to start a business by wearing a mask. It doesn't know where you are. It can't, you know, it can't like prevent, you know, it, it doesn't do a better job spying on you because of a mask. But like it spies on you all the time. There's mass surveillance, right? There are, and and how can you possibly how can you possibly have like gone about your daily lives feeling fine about the government spying on you constantly? The United States federal government spies on you constantly, and you felt fine by that, right? You felt fine about it, and then all of a sudden it's like, hey, can you wear a piece of cloth on your face? And you're like, oh, don't control me, liberty, right? Like, there's plenty of crazy ways the government tracks and controls you that maybe you should even be upset about. But wearing a piece of cloth, come on. We've done a show on this. We've done a show on mass surveillance. And um, for our liberal leaning friends out there who might be kind of like nodding along right now at the whole like government's already involved, you know, argument, you might remember that in 2013, 2014, I made a huge racket um, and then when we started the podcast again in 2016 about the mass surveillance uh, um, leaks that came out in 2013, and the response that I got from so many people, so many people that I knew on the left was, yeah, but you know, um, it's not that big of a deal. 
And I always said to them, yeah, but you don't know who's going to get elected next. And it was Donald Trump. I just, as much as I don't like being vindicated about stuff like that, I told you so, guys. There are times I wish I was wrong. (laughs) So we've been through lots of narratives surrounding difficult for me to comprehend opposition to wearing masks. But what's a bit disheartening about all of this is that ultimately people have heard all of it already. We don't really fully understand uh, why someone is so vehemently opposed to wearing a mask. And we we have some familiarity about how that's been caught up in in the politics of everything. But um, it's hard to explain all this. I mean, has it been leaders who have, you know, encouraged one behavior or another that have made wearing masks a marker of some tribal affiliation that you don't consider yourself to be a part of? Um, have those political leaders done that for their own purposes? Shocking, right? Um, <laughs> if only someone wrote a book about that. Uh, yeah, I know. Uh, go read Wedge, right? Eric wrote about it in 2014. Before it was cool. I I think that a grand irony of this, this godforsaken, accursed year is that if Trump had in February or March gone public and said something along the lines of, Look, folks, this is a big deal. Do your duty, wear a mask. We could have potentially saved tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of lives. And I bet Trump would have won re-election for managing the yeah, pandemic. Yeah, that's my bet, too. Yep. I 100% think he would have won re-election. And, and he could have spun it really well. He could have been like, the Democrats, you know, the do-nothing Democrats don't have the courage to do what it takes to protect the American people. They don't care about you. Trump cares about you. Do your, you know, and he's in his in his big Trump mask, a big beautiful mask, right? Gold with Trump on it, right? You can see it, right? Where where he decides this is his thing, and he's he talks about he's like everyone buy Trump masks, show the world that you know, show the world that that you know, like your support for me for re-election, and you know, look good doing it too, right? This looks beautiful, and. Um, and yeah, and I think he would have easily, I think he would have, I think he would have coasted to reelection. I feel like the speeches kind of write themselves, right? Like we had the best economy in, in years, and then we had the worst pandemic in forever. And now we have the best economy again. And I don't, I don't think the economy would have been completely reopened if we were all responsible and, you know, earlier in the year, but I think it would have been a lot more open than it's about to be. Why Trump refused to take this stand that would have probably helped him in the short run is hard for me to rationalize. My opinion, my guess is that it probably has something to do with his unwillingness to be wrong about something publicly. And if you're nodding along going, haha, yeah, he sure is. This is not unique to the president. Uh, it's, it's worth thinking about for a minute and introspecting on. Would I personally, would you personally be more willing to get something wrong in public than to let someone else die? Mm. What's the threshold? Uh, what's the threshold at which our ego shouldn't matter anymore? I think we're past that. I think, I mean, it is hard to justify out loud one's ego over the life of another person. Usually, you know, the thing is, nobody's, nobody's walking around thinking, ah, yes, 
well, I, you know, I was, I thought this wouldn't be a big deal in February or March. And uh, well, I was wrong, but I'm not willing to admit that. So I'm going to keep up this charade, right? No, you know, damn how many people I killed doing it. Uh, people convince themselves they're right. That's the weird thing. And that's the thing about the ego is that, um, you know, if the ego admits to itself that it's wrong, it's already lost. And, um, and so the, and so what's, what's hard is people have to, and what's, what's hard about changing people's minds is that it doesn't even require admitting publicly that you were wrong to, to hurt and therefore admitting to oneself that one was wrong hurts. And therefore the mind resists, it, the ego resists it. And so people look for reasons, you know, they, you know, look, this is, this is classic, right? People don't look for data and then draw conclusions. They draw conclusions and yeah. then look for data that supports it, right? Unless they have the rigor of a scientist. And, um, you know, most of us don't most of the time. And, um, and that's going to be the hard part about convincing someone to wear a dang old mask, um, is that con- admitting to themselves that they were wrong is, is tough. And I, I do actually have one story about how I convinced one person to wear a mask. Let's hear it. And what I'd what this person they said, well, I've already had the virus, and so you know I can't really get it again because I have the antibodies and I I can't spread it. Uh, this person was also like didn't want to wear a mask anyway. Like they they weren't they weren't like wearing a mask until they got sick. Like they weren't wearing, it. and they got the coronavirus because they weren't wearing it. Um, and they're like, yeah, it was like a nasty flu. And I said, and you know, I said, and and this was kind of a, this was a mild anti-masker. Because I said, do you think, you know, do you think other people wearing masks is going to limit the number of people who die from this virus? And he said, well, yeah, of course. And I said, okay. Given that that's true, and given that there are a lot of people who refuse to wear masks on some principle, what did I say? I said, you know, what example do you want to set for them? Right? Because they don't know. They don't know that you had the virus already. So how many people are you inadvertently encouraging who, who haven't had the virus, who might have it now, right? How many people are you inadvertently encouraging by walking around without one, right? And so, and so how do you want other people to act and, and what kind of duty do you think they have as someone who could be sick? Um, and, so, and so it became a matter of, it became a matter of sort of like appealing to this person's sense of who they want to be, um, as opposed to whether they were right or wrong in the past. It was, you know, it was like everyone wants to be a good example. Everyone wants people to be like them. And so we had this conversation around like, you know, what, you know, how, what do you want? What about you do you want people to emulate? Right. And like, you're, you know, and, and of course, like, button them up a little bit. Like, hey, you're, you're a role model to people around you. Right. Because this person had, uh, they're, you know, they're in the, like, um, they're like a coach at a sports league and they're a business owner and all this stuff. It's like, you're a role model to people around you. People look up to you, man. Right. People follow what you do. Right? You don't even have to tell them. You just need to show them. And so you decide to wear a mask. And so, you know, debunking these arguments is only going to get you so far because again, like people, people have drawn the conclusion that they don't want to wear a mask and that, and that it's important to them somehow not to wear a mask. Um, and then they've come up with reasons for it. So you can shut down the arguments all day. As you probably know, people are going to keep coming with them. Um, and ultimately, the, the art of persuasion um, the art of persuasion is a lot more difficult and, um, or a lot more complex than throwing facts at people. 
the I think it is um you know if you have an isolated person uh who's who's making some of these arguments by shutting them down publicly, you can at least prevent them from sort of like spreading the you know spreading the contagion that is bad thinking right or spreading the contagion that is this misinformation and falsehood um but I think ultimately, if you're going to get someone to wear a mask, you have to think about what's in it for them and um, and often what's in it for me is really about, again, my ego, my image. And so how can you tie wearing a mask to making someone feel better about themselves for doing it? Um, and that depends on the person. So that's my kind of parting advice. Uh, once you've kind of knocked down the arguments, uh, start building back up from there. Yeah. So this may seem a little off topic, but people sometimes ask me, you know, do you have any advice on how to do better research about current affairs or news or whatever? And I think the single best piece of information that I could give is to just go find the primary source. And I am offering that piece of advice, not as a general piece of advice, because I don't think the vast majority of people are ever going to do something like that. But we feel at Reconsider, our goal is helping to arm the influencers that are already out there, that people already look up to, like, like the, the business owner that Eric talked to. We want to help arm you with the, the, the rhetorical tools and the context and facts that you're going to need to try to influence your own community. And the next couple of weeks really are extremely critical. Um, yeah. it's, I, it, it could actually be the difference between you know, 100,000 more people dying or like 400,000 more people dying. I, it's, I can't believe we're here, but we are. And so often, so often when it comes to things like election, when it comes to people's participation in greater society, in the public sphere, people complain that, ah, oh, well, my vote doesn't matter that much, at least when it comes to national elections, not local stuff like sheriff elections, but ah, my vote doesn't matter that much. And, you know, you got to vote, uh, but one out of a hundred and you know, 60 million is a small contribution. But with COVID, mm. your, your actions in the next month are going to directly impact the well-being of your neighbors and your fellow Americans. You have it directly in your capacity to keep people from being unnecessarily infected and dying from this god-awful fucking thing. And we have a responsibility to do that, um, especially with the end so near in sight. So, you know, do your duty, be a patriotic American, watch out for one another, wear a mask, and skip the holidays this year. They'll be around next year. Just skip the holidays just this year, just this one time, please. Yeah. The way my mom and I talked about it, she's in her 60s. She has one and a half lungs, so she's a high-risk case. And we said, you know what? I'd rather miss 2020 Christmas with you than 2021 and 2022 and 2023 and 2024 and, 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 and remember, it's not only your mom, it's mine too. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. 
But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.